talk today about uh, deepening relationships. Uh, sometimes when we're feeling overwhelmed and uh, people ask us how we're doing or we have a moment for a conversation, sometimes we, we don't take those conversations deep and kind of remain on a superficial level. There's a lot of people who are overwhelmed. We've been using this statistic a lot. Uh, 75 out of 4% of adults have felt so stressed at some point over the last year. They felt overwhelmed or unable to cope. 32% uh, of adults said they had experienced suicidal feelings as a result of stress. And as we've always mentioned, that this is not uh, God's will for you. Uh, God's desire and hope and dream for you is not that you would live in this overwhelmed state. That you is not that you would be stressed out all the time, but he wants you uh, to be full of life. Uh, you are to be a life giver and uh, someone who adds value to your community and it takes the presence of God and, and you can't do that when you're overwhelmed. Uh, when you're overwhelmed, you tend to, to, to suck life from other places rather than being able to give life. In John 7, Jesus said, let, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this is God's desire is to... That you'd be so filled with the presence of God that, that not just one river, not just a stream, but rivers, plural, would flow from within you. And so uh, we've been working through a series just kind of talk about how we can move from more of an overwhelmed state to a state where it's more in line with uh, this kind of life. And again, Tamara talked a lot about working through that desert experience between being overwhelmed and that uh, experience of victory in Jesus. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about loneliness. Uh, loneliness is basically when a person lacks meaningful connection with other people. It is difficult when you're feeling overwhelmed in life if you don't have meaningful relationships. It's hard to just kind of battle those struggles of life uh, all alone and by yourself. But the reality is, as we've talked about, uh, there's a lot of lonely people in this world. 40% uh, of people, and it's two out of every five people today feel lonely. That's a lot of people if you consider if, if there's 40% here or 40% in our culture, 40% of the people you hang, see at work or walking down the street are, would be considered themselves lonely. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is, is growing quite quickly, loneliness in our culture. Back in the 80s, it was only 20%. And if you go further back, it was far less. And so we talked in detail a couple weeks ago about some of those shifts in our culture that are causing people to be more and more lonely. Uh, one of those issues is, is that we're just more of a global society. We, we go away for school, we go away for work, and we don't stay in the same community, and therefore uh, it takes time to make friends, and that can make it difficult. Uh, but one of the big reasons, as we talked a lot about a few weeks ago, is, is just social media. That we're more connected through social media, but at the same time, we often find ourselves more alone. And so you can go back and uh, look at that message a couple weeks ago. But we were not designed to be alone. And, and again, this is on the rise. You can just, they call it the loneliness epidemic. Uh, uh, especially affecting the elderly and, and the young are most affected by the loneliness epidemic. And it has huge, huge consequences uh, especially in the area of health. Uh, we would think that smoking 15 cigarettes a day would be bad for your health. But loneliness is actually worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
As one doctor said, it's comparable to the risk of smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. It exceeds the risk of alcohol consumption, it exceeds the risk of physical inactivity, obesity, and it exceeds the risk of air pollution. And uh, they're finding things like uh, a lot of disorders are actually caused by or um, the symptoms are worsened by loneliness. And when lonely people are put back into community and they find deep connection, that uh, they find themselves just being more healthy. And it's because God did not design us to live life alone. He did not design us to live in relationships that are just superficial, where someone says, how are you doing? You say, great, when you have all these issues that, that um, should be worked out in, in community. In Ecclesiastes, it says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And so there is the sense, again, this kind of review, uh, that God is not enough. Now, God is enough to take you through anything. He's enough to take you through loneliness. But there's a sense that God is not enough to fulfill us 100% in the sense that God designed us for relationship. In a perfect world, when everything was perfect, in the Garden of Eden, when God said everything was good, there was one thing that was not good, and that that was man was alone. Because God designed us and wired us for connection with other people. And that doesn't mean you have to be married. The uh, Bible speaks actually quite highly uh, of singleness. Uh, it says if you really want to have sex and you really want to have marriage and get married, that's a great thing too. Uh, both are good. But uh, whether it's a married person or just a friend, we were designed for deep connection. Uh, do you have that in your life? Uh, do you have someone, if you were struggling, you could phone up and say, I really need to talk. And they'd be say, you know, I'd be right there. Uh, do you have people that if you had to move, that would actually show up and help you? Because uh, that's one of the tests, whether they're friends or not, right? It's hard to get people to, to move you sometimes. <laughs> In Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul, knowing that it may have, uh, maybe the last time he was going to see these folks, uh, elders of Ephesus, he called this meeting with the elders of Ephesus together. He gathered them together, and he had a little chat with them, and he said, you know, I'm probably not going to see you again. Uh, and it says this. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. When Paul said, I am leaving and probably not going to see you ever again, his friends wept, uh, and knelt down and actually wept over that. Now, if you said you were going to leave this area, we go to some strange country and never come back, would people care? Would anybody weep? Uh, in other words, do you have any close relationships with people that if you disappeared, uh, someone would actually say, you know, I'm really saddened and this is going to really, really hurt. Again, it's amazing how many people don't have that. I think a couple weeks ago, we looked at some of those comments where people said, you know, I think I could die in my apartment and no one would know for months. I mean... Uh, again, we were designed to live with deep relationships with other people. In fact, good old Howard Hughes, who was considered one of the richest guys in his generation, worth over $4 billion. Uh, he said, I'd give it all for one good friend. I mean, riches don't fulfill that area in our life. 
Uh, having all the skills in the world, being a, an amazing leader, doesn't, it doesn't fulfill this need that we need to have these deep connections. We need a good friend. Now, talking about friends, there's different kinds of friends, of course. Uh, we start with our Facebook friends, which aren't technically friends, but they're our friends. You know, I'm, I know some of you like have a thousand people on your Facebook page, probably, or 500 or 300 or something. Uh, but if I said, do you really know those people? You'd probably say, I don't really know most of them. I kind of know most of them. Maybe they're, I see them at church or I knew them from years back, but they're more acquaintances. Uh, they're not quite friends. They're just more of like common people you know. Then you might have your basic friends. Uh, these people you might be able to have a superficial conversation with. You know, how's the weather? You know, what's going on with Trump? Uh, you know, you know what did you do last week? And those kind of superficial conversations that we have. Weather. Uh, basic friends. And then you might have those close friends. Uh, these are the ones that actually show up when everybody else leaves. These are the ones whom you say, you know, I'm not doing so well. We'll say, you know, let's sit down and talk about this. The ones you feel safe about. The ones you can actually be vulnerable with. Close friends. The Bible talks about these kind of friends, Proverbs 18. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if you are lonely today, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, God's desire is for you to be in community, and he's leading the way. He, he wants to arrange that for you. Now, Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times. These are close friends, ones that uh, you can talk with, ones that, that know you and you know them and you serve and they serve you. Jesus had all three of these kinds of friends. Uh, we, Jesus kind of had these Facebook friends on Matthew, Matthew 4, talks about these large crowds that followed him, these large crowds that actually traveled with him and kind of followed him around, all of his groupies, right? I would follow Jesus around. They, I mean, they had Facebook back then. They were probably like, I'm on, I'm on Jesus' Facebook page because I'm his friend, right? <laughs> they were just kind of the crowds. And, and we have those people that we kind of see now and then. Uh, then Jesus had his basic friends, his, his closer group of disciples. Jesus had more than just 12 disciples. The Bible talks about the 72 disciples he sent out. Uh, in Luke 6, it actually mentions a large crowd of his disciples was there. And in John 6, it says many of his disciples actually turned back and left him. And he's left with the 12. He, he had these, these kind of basic friends who were more disciples, uh, closer at least to him. They were, they were considered his disciples. And then he had close friends. Again, Jesus being our example, Jesus being our model, he's the one we follow. Even Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, needed close friends. He had his group of 12 but if you read through the Gospels, you often notice Jesus hanging out particular with three people, Peter, James, and John. And we see this often in the Bible. Like Matthew 17, Jesus took with them Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Or Mark 14, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply uh, distressed and troubled. This is in the Garden of Eden before his crucifixion. He's going through suffering. Who does he want close by him? His closest friends. Peter, James, and John. Even Jesus needed that. Uh, do you have that? In your times of distress where you can have a Peter and a James and a John or one person, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else, do you have these close relationships? Uh, we need them. We need close relationships with others. 
Uh, Self-deceit often comes from being disconnected. I mean, none of us really have an accurate reading of ourselves. When we kind of look at our own selves, usually our reading's a little off. <laughs> I mean, we need people to be speaking into our lives. Uh, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. Uh, we need those people who can say, hey, Jesse, and what you said there is just not quite right. I mean, uh, you know, people who can be honest with you. Again, people who are close. Uh, and what Satan often wants to do is he wants to isolate people. Because when you're isolated... Uh, that's when he can assassinate you. He has to isolate you so he can assassinate you. In fact, there's usually the three D's that come up when you're isolated. That is, you get discouraged, you find yourself in more depression, and often it'll lead to destruction. Uh, you need people who can speak into your life. You need people who are close to you. We were wired for that. Your health thrives. Your emotional life thrives. Your spiritual life thrives when you have these kind of people in, in your lives. Now, thankfully... God has given us all, as followers of Jesus, a big head start. Because he has brought you into a family. A spiritual family. And even if you have, uh, your biological family has forsaken you and, and uh, other people have left you in the dust, you have a father who loves you. And calls you, calls you his dearly loved child. God has called a family. And notice, these are all family terms. We are called the bride of Christ. This is the family of believers. It's called God's family or God's household. We are brothers and sisters. And so automatically, in this world of loneliness, God has placed us in a family. And it's a spiritual family. And we're here. And uh, we need to be here for each other. And we've got to get to know each other. And, and so we kind of have this head start on the world in the sense that God has brought us into this beautiful family. And uh, the family of God is a great place to start if you need Deep connections with other people. And so how do you choose friends? The Bible actually talks a lot about this. Again, God's wired us for friends, and so he talks about friendship in the Bible. The Bible says that we're to look for the right kinds of friends. Now, Jesus had lots of friends. He was friends of tax collectors and sinners. He was friends with, with the worst. Uh, but for his closest friends, he had Peter, James, and John. And we are not to run from this world. Jesus prayed that we'd be in the world, but not of the world. We are to make friends with tax collectors and sinners and people who are, you know, the craziest people out there. I mean, that's, that's who we're called to be. We're called to love and to serve and to bless. But when it comes to your closest friends, uh, you need to choose those friends carefully, the Bible says. Uh, Proverbs 12 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. I mean, your friends have a lot of influence on your life for good or for bad. And probably all of us can go through our life at times and say, you know, I had this friend that really influenced me negatively. I had one of those in high school, which kind of you know, influenced me to do drugs and actually ended up in the hospital once because of it. Uh, it was kind of a negative influence. And I've had great positive influence friends who have pushed me uh, further than I could ever, ever know. So we're to choose those close friends carefully. First uh, Corinthians 15, a bad company corrupts good character. I mean, you can be walking in good character, and you make a, a friend who is really close to you, who maybe is not of good character, again, it can influence you negatively. Uh, Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffer, suffers harm. And so choose those closest friends uh, carefully, the Bible says. Secondly, uh, watch out for those kind of people with major character issues. Uh, it's probably not best to have a close friend who's got a major character flaw. This is what Proverbs 22 says. 
Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Uh, sometimes you might find someone who, you know, you don't want to make close friends with, with a gossip. Because when they say, hey, how are you doing? And you actually say, and you, you just kind of release this vulnerable thing in your life, and they take it, and they spread it with everybody, it's probably not the best person for a close friend. Or if he's a close friend, you better rebuke him and say, man, don't do that, <clears throat> right? So watch out for those who have major character issues. Uh, you want to choose friends who are actually your true friends and not just your stuff's friends. I mean, if you have a lot of money, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you are someone who has a spiritual gift of service and giving, you know what I'm talking about. Proverbs 19 says, Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. I mean, I, I knew this elderly lady once. She's passed away now. Uh, but she had a lot of money. And I, it was amazing how many people came into her life just to get money. Kind of pretend to be friends and get alongside. I mean, make sure they're actually your friend and not just your stuff's friend. Our Proverbs 19, many curry favor with a ruler. And everyone is a friend of the one who gives gifts. I mean, you give up your time often. You just, you just serve everybody. You always say yes. You can gather a lot of friends who love to be served but actually don't serve you back. True friendship is always someone who gives love and receives love. Whom you serve and they serve you. And, that, and that's what you are to be looking for when it comes to your closest friends. And you also want to see quality, not quantity, the Bible says. Proverbs 18. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But again, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend. I mean, we're in this world where we get a lot of our self-worth wrongly from this fact that, you know, I know so many people. Or I have this many Facebook friends. I must be something special. But, but quantity actually is not what you need. You need quality. You need those quality friendships. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're popular or not. You, you need those Quality friendships, uh, the one who sticks closer than a brother. So if you're here and you're like, you know, I actually don't have this. And I'm kind of lonely in my life. How can I make deeper connections with people? And I'll say right off the bat, this is not easy. Uh, finding those close friends can be some work. Uh, but here's some things that can be helpful in moving yourself in alignment with what God wants. Because if you don't have... Deep relationships with people, you are out of alignment with, with God's desire for your life. And he wants you to move into a place where you have deep connections with others. Number one is to don't play the blame victim card when things don't work out. Uh, sometimes I see this, and, and we all have this in us, because we just often don't want to admit that we've made mistakes. We just want to blame. You know, it's, it's, it's all those people out there, that's why I'm lonely, because, you know, everybody's just so selfish, and, you know, I'm the perfect person, and it's everybody else's fault. Or, you know, the church is so unloving, I wasn't there for a month, and nobody phoned me, and, and it's, we, we love to play the blame victim card. Uh, but the Bible says to first look within. Uh, Matthew 7 says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Now, granted, it may be some of the people around you, but it also may be something within <laughs> Sometimes people don't have friends because they're actually not a very good friend themselves. They just want to take, 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 and, and, not, and not give. And so we've got to first look within. God, is there something within me that is keeping people away from me? Uh, is, it, is it pride? Is it just my willing to, to want to always get from them and not give and not serve? God, is, is there anything within me? And in the end, even if it is their fault, 
As soon as you play the blame victim card, you actually end up chasing people away. The blame victim card actually never creates relationship. And so, uh, even if it is their fault, just put that card away. <laughs> you go to comfort in the Father and, and allow Him to refresh you and, and you forgive them. And, and, and that creates relationship. Forgiveness creates relationship. Blame, uh, playing the victim is only going to chase people further away and you will find yourself lonely. Uh, a lot of lonely people just love the victim card. It's always someone else's fault and, and it's their fault. And, and, and again, maybe, but first check within. Secondly, uh, you want to push away your fear and reframe your thinking. Uh, they have found that people who are lonely, actually, their thinking is different than people who are connected. Lonely people just kind of naturally uh, say things like this. Uh, no one really cares about me. Uh, who would want to be around me? I should just stay home tonight. I'm too tired to be around people right now. No one ever understands me anyways. I'm going to embarrass my... Self, or, or I can't put myself out there, I'll only be rejected. Or I don't know what to say anyways. A lot of times lonely people uh, just see the world more negatively. And they often kind of repeat these things over, no one actually wants me. And so they might, after church, may say a couple of these things, and well, I just got to go. It is uh, one doctor who said this, studies have shown that people who struggle with loneliness may actually perceive the world differently. Researcher John... Paco, or whatever his name is, uh, even found uh, structural and biochemical differences in the lonely brain. His research revealed that a lonely person can experience more difficulty recognizing positive events. In other words, they will assume someone has rejected them far before they have. They'll just think everybody doesn't want to be, they, no one will know me, and they just have this negative sense, and so it creates a real bar barrier in getting to know people. Uh, she goes on, another University of Chicago study found that lonely individuals are more likely con to construe their world as threatening, hold more negative expectations, and interpret and respond to ambiguous social behavior in a more negative, off-putting fashion, thereby confirming their construal of the world as threatening and beyond their control. As the man thinks in his heart. Yeah. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. And so this has to do with the Bible. Taking captive every thought, making obedience to Christ. This has to do with what we've talked about a lot here, making sure you're getting your identity in who the Father says you are. Your identity doesn't come from what others think of you. It comes from the Father. And, and this was really impacting. I forget. Basil here? Yeah. Who is there? Who was that friend who came? Remember that crazy guy from Idaho or whatever? Matt Holt, yeah. I remember he came here, and I, I was looking. He was just such a friendly guy. And, it was just, and, and he just assumed that everybody wanted to get to know him. <laughs> and I remember I was either talking to you or to him, and I said, you know, back then I, just, I actually assumed that nobody wanted to get to know me. I said, actually, I come with an entirely different assumption. I assume nobody wants to get to know me. And, I, and it just, it just that kind of thinking makes a difference. Because if I think nobody wants to get to know me, then I'm not going to put myself out there. I'm not going to want to make connections. I'm going I'm to pull back. But to assume that actually humans really want to have connections that people actually do probably want to get to know you, maybe. Uh, and so this has to do with just your thinking. Uh, change your thinking to say, to say you know what, uh, there are people who want to get to know me. Maybe I've got to find them, but there are people who want to get to know me. Even if I'm rejected, that's okay, because I, I get my identity from God. So uh, change your thinking. Number three, 
Uh, we must risk rejection in order for connection. And this is the hard part. Uh, because we're scared of rejection. It freaks us out. Especially if you struggle with any kind of social anxiety. I mean, this is, it can be very hard to put yourself up there, out there because everything in you just, it's just like, I, I just don't want to be rejected. Because maybe, sadly, you've been rejected a lot of times in your life. Maybe you had put yourself up there, out there and you've been rejected. Maybe you've tried to make friends and you've been rejected. And it can be very, very difficult. But here's the thing. If you want to find connection, you have to risk rejection. And again, we've just got to go back to Jesus, who is our model and example, who came from heaven to earth, and he risked rejection in order to make connection. And you know what? Jesus was perfect, and he was rejected a lot. Uh, we see in John 666, that crazy number. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I mean, there are people who rejected him. They say, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. And he was perfect. So if someone rejects you, don't automatically assume there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. Sometimes things just don't click. Sometimes maybe you don't like the things that you're thinking or whatever it might be. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, that For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy set before him partly had to do with relationships. Jesus came to bring us back into relationship with the Father. There was the joy set before him, but in order to get to that joy of relationship, he had to scorn the shame of the cross. And when you're looking for a spouse, uh, when you're looking for a good friend, sometimes you have to go through the cross and experience shame and rejection until you find that person whom you actually connect with. Now, don't let the fear of rejection just keep you away from making friends. Because sometimes we say, I'm just going to, I've been rejected so many times, I'm just going to stay alone. There's a lot of pain when you stay alone. There's pain when you put yourself out there to try to get connection, but it's worth it. The pain of the cross to find those connections is worth it. And so, risk rejection in order for connection. Number four, and this may sound simple, but just get around people. If you want to make friends, you have to be around people. Uh, sometimes lonely people are just never around people, and they wonder why they're lonely. It's because they're never around people. You've got to start with who you know. And one of the places you can start is right here. Let's start in the church. There's people here every Sunday, and you can show up. You can volunteer, because when you're volunteering, you hang out with people in, in a way where you're doing activities, and it's a little easier to get to know people. Attend an event or a class or a small group where there's discussion, and you can hang out with people. Uh, you want to might find people or groups that share similar interests. You know, a lot of us share the interests of Jesus. Uh, so you can talk about Jesus with us, and, and we'll have something in common, right? Uh, in fact, I can go here, and I went all the way to Rwanda. You can go anywhere and show up in a church, and you have something in common. You have a media family. Uh, for guys especially, most guys actually create relationships around activities. Some guys can create relationships like girls do around conversation, but most guys... Create it around activities. It's true. Uh, females tend to make relationships easier than men. But men tend to do it around activities. And so sports or a similar interest. And so, uh, again, if you're lonely, what do you like to do? Find other people who like to do it and do it together. Uh, come early and stay around afterwards. Uh, come early to church. There's people that actually hang out here. Uh, stay late. 
And it's okay if you're standing there actually all by yourself. It's hard to do. I hate it too. I know you hate it. Uh, but actually, it's a good test in your identity. Am I actually okay just me and God standing here when everybody else is talking? It's a good way just to remind yourself who you are in Jesus. And it's okay. Maybe someone will come up to you, but maybe not. But, but just stay early. Uh, stay late. Uh, get around people. Uh, invite someone. Uh, invite someone to lunch after. It's great. We're, we're all hungry after church. We have potluck one out of four, so there's three Sundays where everybody's hungry. Say, so, hey, come over to my house. Well, I got lunch ready, or there's the damn inn. They make one of the best burgers in the area. You can go to the Frog Peak. Uh, they're great, too. Invite them over lunch. Say, hey, I'm buying. Would you like to come for lunch? I mean, and, and you get, actually get to sit down, and there's something when you have a meal that just draws you in. And so invite people uh, to things. Uh, learn to ask questions. Learn to ask good questions. Because another one of our fears is, hey, hi, how are you doing? What's your name? What's my name? And then you're like, what do I say? Right? The fear of conversation. Uh, just ask questions. Uh, just learn to ask questions. And, uh, and you know, sometimes even in marriages, like, you know, my husband never talks. Well, learn to ask good questions. <laughs> an, an okay question is, <laughs> I don't know if it works, but... There is a difference between, hey, how was your day? You know what men say? Fine. <laughs> it's okay. That's, that's what I say. But if you say, hey, what was the best part about your day? Then you actually have to say something. <laughs> you know, what was the crappiest part of your day? Ask a question where it's not a yes or no answer. Uh, that can help conversation. And I, and I think Basil talked about a tip once where you ask a question and then you, what, you ask a question about the question. And how many times do you do that? Ten times. Ten times. <laughs> Try that. It's hard. I can't do it. I don't know, how, how was your day? It's good, so what was the best part about your day? I had a burger at the damn inn. So tell me about that burger. What's so special about the burger? He asked 10 questions. I don't know if it's possible. Maybe. Learn to ask questions. Uh, learn the art of listening. You know, there's a lot of like conversation techniques like eye contact and repeating what they've said. But all of that, you can just throw out the window if you actually just listen. Uh, a lot of people don't listen these days. It's kind of a lost art because we want to quickly listen while we are on our phone or listen while we're trying to think of what to say. But I tell you, it, uh, you can make friends a lot quicker if you actually just listen. You know, a lot of my ministry as a pastor is actually just listening. You know, it's not rocket science. A lot of people just need to be heard because they have things that, on their chest and nobody around them listens. And so just listen. It goes a long way in creating relationship. I uh, don't take it personally. Jesus didn't. Uh, he was perfect. People rejected him. You're not quite perfect, and people will definitely reject you. You're not going to get along with everybody. Now, hopefully you can be sort of basic friends with everybody, but those close friends, not everybody is going to click with you. Uh, there are people who are basic friends, but you know, just we just have a little, maybe a little bit different interests or a little bit different things around, and and and, and it's not everybody is going to click with you. And there are times when things change. Like for men, sometimes when their interests change, maybe their friend group will change, or when you're you're uh, you have kids, sometimes that can change. Even even your friends, uh, but don't take it personally if someone says you you're not the one for me. You just. You try again. You risk rejection in order for connection. Because there is a friend who is closer than a brother. And sometimes you've got to work for a few of those to find that close, that close friend. Number five, 
It's going to take time. And this is, again, one of the reasons why people are more and more lonely. Because we don't have time for friendships. Good relationships always require time. You want a good marriage? It's going to take time. If you want a good friendship, it's going to take time. And we can't have close friends if we're never willing to give any time. And so you need to make time. And sometimes it's hard to find a friend who is willing to make time. But it's going to require time. And it's going to require time where you serve that person and you bless that person. It's also going to require being bored together. And again, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But one of the reasons why people are more and more lonely is because we've lost the art of being bored together. So you sit at the table and you have a meal and you kind of get, the conversation gets boring. In our generation, we quickly want to go to our phone, we quickly go, oh, I'm going to watch TV, and quickly, you know, do something exciting because there's so many exciting things out there and we can no longer just sit and be bored. Just sit on the couch for an hour and just kind of hang out and be bored together. We tend to not do that much in our culture with our friends. And therefore, we just end up being more and more lonely. Learn just to be bored together. I mean, go camping where you have no cell service. It's a way to be bored together, right? Uh, just do those things where, again, you kind of make time. Uh, and the last one, take emotional risks. Intimacy comes from vulnerability. It's one of those secrets to marriage, one of the secrets to friendship, as intimacy comes from vulnerability. I mean, we saw that video at the beginning. Uh, you can keep every conversation at a superficial level, and you'll wonder why I never have any friends. The only way you make deep friends is someone has to go first to the area of vulnerability. And you ever notice this in a group, if you've been in a small group where the conversation is all superficial, and then one person just says, you know, I'm having this really bad week, and then they just confess something, and how it breaks down all the barriers, and everybody else is like, you know, man, I got this going on too. And vulnerability creates intimacy. So there has to be a moment when you're developing a friend where you take this emotional risk and you actually are vulnerable. You talk about a hope, a dream, a fear, whatever it might be, and you're, that creates intimacy. And this can be really hard for guys, and it tends to why guys have a lot of superficial relationships is because guys have a harder time usually being vulnerable. But, but it's necessary for deeper relationships. In fact, Brene Brown... If you haven't seen this TED Talk, it's, it's been out there. It's very popular. It's called The Power of Vulnerability. Great TED, TED Talk. You should listen to it. Uh, we've actually showed a clip from it uh, before here, maybe a couple years ago. But she's done a lot of study with social connections. And as she studied social connections, she says people who are connected have three things in common. Uh, when people have deep friendships, there's three things that are always in common. She says the first one is courage. And that is the courage to be imperfect. They are willing to let go of who they think they should be and be who they really are. I mean, it's easy with basic friends to, you know, put on a mask, pretend you have everything together, pretend you're Mr. Superhero, and never actually be who you are. Again, this has to do partly with vulnerability, partly with this courage to be imperfect. Uh, secondly, they found that people who are connected have compassion on themselves and therefore have compassion on others. I mean, if you're really hard on yourself, you're like a perfectionist, you're like religious rules all the way, you will tend to project that on other people and chase them away. When you walk in the grace and the forgiveness and love of the Father, you just have this amazing grace that comes over your life, and therefore you're able to give it to others. It's really important that you connect with the Father that way. And then, 
Again, this idea, and she says, this is by far the biggest piece when she studies, studies social connections and whether people have close relationships or superficial relationships, and it has to do with vulnerability. Allowing themselves to be seen and known. To find those people where you can say, you know, here's something that's going on. To have those people who say, and sometimes you've got to take a risk when someone says, hey, how are you doing today? You say, crappy. And sometimes they'll say, oh, great, you know, because they don't pay attention. But sometimes they say, oh, really? Yeah, tell me about it. And there's that moment, there's that moment where you're going to risk rejection in order for connection. And there's moments like that in marriages and all those relationships, but we got to do it. And if it's hard for you to step out into vulnerability, the first place to start practicing with is with God, the Father. To be a great friend, I mean, if you're a good friend with God, you will just generally usually be a good friend. But one place you can start being vulnerable is with the Father. Because the reason we don't want to be vulnerable with people is because if they really knew I'm struggling with this, they would reject me. If they really knew who I am, <laughs> I already told them this, that they would not be my friend. But the, actually, the exact opposite is true. The people who have better friends tend to be more vulnerable. But you can practice this with God. Those hurts, those struggles, those pains, those hopes, those dreams, those fears, those broken relationships, just give it to God. The Psalms are an awesome place to learn how to have a good relationship with God. Because the psalmist all the time is being vulnerable in his prayers. I mean, listen to his prayer in Psalm 142. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. And we've been talking about being overwhelmed. But it's God who knows the way you should turn. And if you're stuck and you feel you don't know where to go, God knows the way to turn. So you turn to God, and he's going to help you. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit about what happens to me. And then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, um, uh, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of the prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. I mean, that's being very vulnerable. Uh, are you like that with the Father? Because you know what? Again, we're scared to do that with people because they might reject us, but God already knows. And the good news about God is he loves you. He knows all the junk in your life, and so you can tell him, and he's not like, whoa, I can't believe this, I'm leaving. He's not going to say that. <laughs> he's going to love you and say, yeah, that may be hard, but I'm the answer. Come to me. Just, just come to me. And so if you want to have deeper relationships with people, just first start with God. Start practicing being vulnerable. Tell them what, how, why, you're why your week was crappy. Tell them what your hope for the future is. Tell them about your, your dreams. Just, just tell them it all. And you, you get to this place where you, you learn just to be vulnerable, and then you can bring that into real life. And if you get rejected in real life, well, you know you have a safe haven with God, and you can go back. <laughs> and so connect with the Father. And, and the beautiful thing is today we get to end with connecting with the Father. Because there's something about a meal especially in biblical times, that if you had a meal with someone, 
It was like this intimate connection with that person. And that's why the Pharisees freaked out when Jesus had meals with tax collectors and sinners. Because he was saying, you know, I love these people. I care about them. And God is inviting you to a meal today. And it's called communion. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was in the upper room with his disciples, some of his closest friends. And he said, after taking the bread, and he, he breaks it and he gives thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he takes this cup of wine and says, drink this in remembrance of me. For whoever eats my body and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. And, and this is an, in, an invitation to relationship. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Father, you don't have a relationship with God, he's inviting you. And maybe your first step of faith today is going to be coming to this table and, and just in response saying, God, I receive your invitation to get to know you and to follow you. And so uh, we're going to play one more song. And during the song, you're welcome to come up and participate in communion. And uh, again, as always, I always mention that communion is not just about you and God. But the Bible also says communion is also about each other. So... Don't be afraid to look at each other and smile and, and look each other someone in the eyes because uh, the Bible says we're all part of the one loaf. We're all, I mean, you take a loaf of bread and there's all these pieces and it makes one loaf. We are one big loaf of bread, even though we got crackers and gluten-free almonds, but uh, the idea is we're one. So let's stand together and call the worship team up. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have brought us into your family. And we thank you, Father, that you have not let us left us alone. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I know you've wired us for connection. And God, for those of us who have deep connection with others, whether our best friend is our spouse or someone other than our spouse, God, we thank you for those relationships. And God, I just lift up to you anyone in this room who is feeling lonely, God, who is feeling isolated, who is, God, who is saying, God, I, I, just, I just need a good friend. God, I pray you would go before them, you'd go beside them, you'd go behind them. God, that you would uplift them in this time of loneliness, that in you, God, they would find comfort. And God, I pray you'd give them wisdom in terms of connection. God, I pray you'd give them courage in terms of being vulnerable. God, I give them, I pray, God, that you would bind them in their identity to you so that if they are rejected, God, they can go back to you and find comfort. So, Father, we pray blessing on every relationship in this room. We pray blessing on future relationships. And, God, we thank you most, most of all for our relationship with you. We thank you, God, that we know you. We thank you that you are close to us. And we thank you for this table of communion where we're reminded, God, that you love us more than we could ever know. Where we're reminded, God, that you are a good God. So we follow you. We love you. We worship you. We serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.